thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to Flourish with Elise Comerford, where we hear real stories from everyday people that will encourage and inspire you on your own health journey. Hi guys, welcome back to the Flourish podcast, where we talk to real people hearing their real healing stories. Today on the podcast, we have one of my favorite people, Alex Stewart. Hi, Alex. Hey, Elise. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Super, super good. Thank you. That is good. Alex, do you know you are one of the first people I started following on the blogging, Instagram, (laughs) Facebook space? (laughs) I've been doing this a while. Yeah. And never back then would I have thought that one day I would be interviewing you. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> I am so down to earth. And it, I find the whole um, the whole bizarreness of people, the act of people creating blogs and, and courses or whatever they end up doing online puts them apart from regular people, let's yeah. say. And so you become like this weird kind of celebrity and I'm absolutely not saying that because <laughs> I feel like one or identify as one but I see other people treating me like that and I think I'll get over here and give you a hug (laughs) too weird let's just be like normal people what'd you have for breakfast kind of (laughs) and then of course they're terrified to tell me what they had for breakfast (laughs) 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 too funny but yeah no it's awesome to be here chatting with you I love the work you do and um yeah it's always great to speak to people who are really passionate about moving the needle on this whole chronic illness situation, I think, because it's just not right. That's right. And that not that the best way to put it so simply? It's just not right. No, it's yeah. not. I refuse to accept it as normal. Yeah. That all of us in our 30s and 40s should be running around with long-term sickness. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And one of the reasons why I wanted to do this podcast is, well, of course, for that, and to reach people in their homes that aren't going out and getting this, in, they can't go out and get this information any other way. I get a lot of clients that some of them haven't left their home for three years and I know that podcasts and listening to people's stories is their lifeline. It's like mm-hmm. that's how they're getting their information and their hope, which mm. is so important. It's one of the most beautiful aspects of having this hyper-connected world which has many downsides. Yes. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I really believe that for people who are, uh, chronically unwell, I see it in the toxic mold support group all the time. You know, people who they just can't even make a decision. Their brain is so foggy because of mold illness and they literally will just share a picture of a a house that they're considering renting and say, could someone just give me any feedback on this? And, and then people will come together and say, no, you don't want grass growing around right up to the walls of the house. And, and, uh, it's also on a slope. So no, don't go for that one. And, you know, like you could, you couldn't do that 10 years ago. You couldn't offer support to strangers that you feel an affinity with because you've been there. Um, it's really lovely. Yeah, absolutely. And that's it. When my, that's what my mum always says, um, about how we ate as kids, which was in that day and age, day and age it wasn't that long ago, but um, <laughs> back then it was considered healthy. Like we had a pretty, you know, a healthy standard Australian diet, one where we didn't you know, eat lots of lollies or soft drinks, but what we considered healthy. And that's like where was where was my mum to find the information? It wasn't going to mm. pop up on a Facebook group. Someone wasn't going to share something about healthy eating. Like it was. You had to know someone doing it or actively go and look because you think something's wrong, but back then we just didn't know. 
Yeah, you totally did. Mm. And, like, the thing is our parents had the first uh, situation where food became food and non-food, right? Like the the junk aisle in the supermarket was born in the early 80s. Before Mm. then it simply did not exist. Yeah. So we never had to wonder what healthy food was because we all ate produce as our main staple. And then in the 80s it just went haywire. And all of a sudden there was non-food and food. And and so people like, oh, you shouldn't be, you know, we shouldn't be obsessing over what's healthy and what's not. And it's like, but for the first time in our lives we actually need to help our skills, help our kids develop the skills to identify what is food and what is non-food, what is nourishing and what is harmful, what is, you know, what's going to break the health bank and what's going to be okay every once in a while and then what you want to make most of Like you didn't even have to think about this stuff. I know, you just ate. And then it, I guess it came along as well with the timing of mums working a lot more. Yes, it did. Yeah. And Michael Pollan talks about that really succinctly where he says he sort of paints the picture of the couple in the 70s and the rise of feminism and how wonderful it was that women all went out into the workforce and it is wonderful of course it's wonderful but what couples didn't do is sit down together and go okay right now that I'm going to be working too let's (laughs) divvy everything up it either all still fell on the woman and then of course she's sinking the food companies come in and they're like, don't worry. It's okay. We'll take I've got care you back. You. <laughs> and she's like, thank God you've arrived. Yeah. <laughs> Please let me just shove something in the dinner, uh, in the oven and have it yeah. come out as dinner half an hour later. Yeah. And so it was really just the perfect storm for the, the, the food companies to start being quite profit driven um, at the expense of our health. It's a real shame. But, you know, there's nothing wrong with making money. But at the expense of our health and the planet, I take offence to that. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we're here today to have a bit of a chat about your health journey, Alex. So I know um, it's been a fairly detailed one. <laughs> is, that a good, yeah, is that a good way to put it? Yeah. <laughs> Um, but the floor is yours and I, yeah, I think it'd be really great if we could hear about your healing journey and, and really, you know, that's what's fueled you to then be where you are now sharing, um, such amazing information and support and inspiration for other people. Thanks, Elise. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I think I'm going to tell two stories, part A, part B, because it's two quite different parts of my life. So the first part was really amazing because it was my late 20s and I'd had chronic tonsillitis three, four times a year for the last 10 years before that, 10, 15 years. Um, And it got so bad that I became antibiotic resistant. So they had me on the third round of the strongest amoxicillin forte kind of thing for strep throat and it just wasn't working, wasn't even touching the sides. And my throat was like literally closed over with horrific looking stuff uh, all over my tonsils and I couldn't swallow. I couldn't swallow. It was unbearable. So I had this little bottle by my bedside, huge fever and like spitting into the bottle because I couldn't swallow. It was just like ugh, TMI, but it was, it was gross. <laughs> no, we love TMI here. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and, uh, and so uh, I remember a friend coming to drop me off a soup and taking one look at me and going, wow, you don't look good. Have you ever considered a naturopath? I know it might be a bit left field. This was 15 years ago. And, um, and I hadn't heard of one before, but, uh, I thought, you know what, like I'm, 
at this point I'm ready to try anything. And uh, and so I went and she put me on some disgusting tasting herbs that I now, of course, love the taste of. <laughs> um, but back then I was like, what the – and, uh, and then I think she gave me a couple of supplements as well for um, various parts of immune support, put me on a really simple diet of well-cooked brown rice, uh, chicken broth and carrots. And she said, don't eat anything else, just have that really simple food for three or four days and take all these things. And uh, I was better. I schwitzed that fever out for two days straight, like just crazy, like wet sheets kind of sweating. And uh, and then I kind of woke up from the cloud and my tonsils piped down and, and she then explained in the follow-up visit, very um, happy that I had improved so dramatically so fast and I kicked it. Uh, that that she had been seeing a, a really strong correlation between strep throat and gluten-containing proteins. Uh, and so uh, she suggested that I go gluten-free. And I was like, oh, God, really? <laughs> like think 15 years ago, it's not the proliferation of choices we had today and I didn't know how to cook. So you put those two things together and it really is the worst news you could ever get, especially as a half-Frenchie. <laughs> Uh, so, um, yeah, so I, I just thought, you know what, this woman really sounds like she knows what she's on about and I'm going to give it a go just a couple of months and we'll see if I get tonsillitis because I was getting it three, four times a year. It was worth, you know, just trying a few months and I cried like, I'm going to be brutally honest with people. I found it really isolating and yeah. really hard. Uh, I remember being over at my um, now husband's house when he was uh, a boyfriend many, many years ago now, and uh, and a friend of him had organised lunch for us all, and it was all stuff I couldn't eat, but stuff that was really normal to prepare as a, you know, sit-down, simple lunch. And I just went, ran to the kitchen. I just started crying. I was like, I'm going to be the weird person. It's horrible. And so I identify with anyone listening tonight who is thinking, oh, that's me right now. Yeah. It gets better. It so gets better. You Think end up being it. the person bringing the yummiest food to the party. Exactly. <laughs> so do. It was my invitation to become curious, to learn how to cook. Uh, and I, as a half Frenchie, as I said, there ain't no way my food's going to taste bad. So yeah. I figured out how to make beautiful things gluten-free, came up with my own flour blends and uh, and actually became a really good cook. At 28, I couldn't even roast a chicken. I thought that was something Char Grilled Charlie's did. So, <laughs> you know, there's hope for everybody and, uh, you know, I ended up teaching people how to cook. So, you know, it's, um, it's, it's sometimes these bad bits of news can end up being the best bits of news in the long run when you've got a bit of retrospect. So that was kind of the first wave and a few months in, no tonsillitis, few more months in, no tonsillitis, becoming a better cook, realised, wow, okay, I can actually eat this way, this is fine. Two years in, no tonsillitis. Interestingly, you know how you uh, your allergies or any intolerances tend to subside in pregnancy? Mm-hmm. Of course, when I was pregnant, I was like, let's hit the croissant, baby, I'm back. <laughs> and, uh, and so I sure gave those croissants a nudge in that nine months and then lured myself into some false sort of sense of security that I was fine now <laughs> after he was born. Two months in, I got tonsillitis. So I was like, oh, this is the link for me, yeah. yeah. And it's not necessarily going to be the link for everybody. I don't consider grains to be an evil food for certain people. People thrive on them. You can see culturally there are some cultures where grains are a huge mainstay. So 
Uh, I'm not one to kind of shout from the rooftops that everyone needs to go gluten-free, but I certainly think, A, you need to definitely consider organic as at least uh, a a mid-step because of the way that our grains tend to be grown and harvested. Uh, and uh, and B, if you get recurring infections of any kind, that's a stressed-out body. So if you can just remove some of the low-hanging fruit, gluten, dairy being two pretty obvious ones in the food world, and just experiment and see if it get, helps your body to just oh, feel less pressure to try, like under attack all the time, then, yeah. you know, there's so many great substitutes now. It's, um, it's crazy not to try, right? Yeah, absolutely. So that was that, and uh, and of course, in all of a sudden having to look at packets and ingredient lists, I started realizing gluten was almost far from like the worst thing happening in our food land. <laughs> when you start yeah. to see some of the crazy stuff that was in there, uh, and I, my sense of justice really riled up, and it was sort of the paving of the way for me to start creating recipes, sharing recipes, and trying to drive people away from products and more towards produce. Uh, because I really felt the healthful benefits myself and started to see uh, my husband who used to get hangry when we first started going out. Uh, you know, once we started changing the way we cooked because I had to eat a bit differently, that just didn't happen to him anymore. No more blood sugar issues. You know, all, all these sorts of cool things started happening and we thought, wow, this is just this is the default now. Um, and then I kind of realized at some point that year that I hadn't had a period for a couple of years. <laughs> some time that year. <laughs> I know you don't really miss 20s. it. Yeah, you don't miss uh, it when you're in your 20s. <laughs> yeah, but uh, so that, I thought I had to work on that next. And I had um, I had a scan, I was identified as having polycystic ovaries, and, uh, and I had been on the pill from age about, about 20 to 24. Five, I guess, or something. And so a couple of years later I had to address this um, period issue and, and no one could really figure out what it was. No one seemed to think the pill had anything to do with it. Of course not. <laughs> <laughs> ah, dear. Um, if, if you are out there just thinking, what does she mean by that, please go read Beyond the Pill by Dr Jolene Brighton. It will answer all your questions. Right, yeah. Um, and, uh, then, uh, and, and then I was told I might have early onset menopause. So I was like, okay, that's, that's not great. This woman was really cool with the whole tonsil thing. Why don't I go back to her, back to the naturopath? She was furious that I'd been told that because there was no, there were eggs, you know, it wasn't like the factory had shut up shop or anything. There was no evidence of that. She just said, you've just got to get your hormones humming again. Some more disgusting herbs. And a couple of months later, somewhere between one and two months, I got my period back. Wow. And, uh, and I was just like, whoa, this woman is like <laughs> magic. <laughs> she was so clever. And then she got me to stop smoking, which was like extra awesome. Yeah. Um, and I had been like a pack-a-day smoker for the last two years, uh, wow. you know, running a busy bar, yeah, really, that's really right. intense hospital career, yeah. and, uh, and your cigarettes were your excuse to just to shut go. it all out and, yeah. and get the heck out of there for yeah. 10 minutes. So a lot of us smoked a lot. And, uh, and so she kind of three strikes and I was healthy, like I was really well. I was in tip-top condition, super fit, eating great food, um, and then went and had my boy 
and looked like I was losing all the baby weight, you know, getting everything was really, really good. Then we moved to an apartment um, and started to notice mould. I remember actually just a month after we moved to this place, so now I'm 33, 34, and uh, we moved there and I remember seeing water in the tiles of the bathroom, like kind of coming up through the tiles it was like in the subfloor or something and then I remember seeing a slug come through the drain just going what's up with that you know this is like a brand new night in mid-90s build um but we kind of just sort of fobbed it off we loved having a big open courtyard and and a few other cool things about the place so we didn't worry too much but everything started growing mold like your handbags started getting covered in mold and and I remember we had these two little uh, white Ikea couches and <laughs> sort of down the bottom started to go green. And I remembered like calling a mould person in to test for moisture and he was like, yeah, this is really damp. Do you want me to um, Do you want to talk remediation? I'm like, oh, well, we're just renting, so I'll have to talk to the landlord. The landlord came, stood there and abused me, like screamed at me in front of my 18-month-old son oh at the time. Oh, my goodness. He was just looking up completely confused at this whole situation accusing me of being an ungrateful tenant, that he had built this himself from his own building company. There was nothing wrong. It was me and I had a cleaning problem and uh, and it was horrifying. And then wow. we were evicted and I was like, oh, oh my, goodness. my gosh, talk about not having rights for renters in New South Wales. It's yeah. just crazy. Uh, and I know a lot of people around the world suffer with these sorts of issues as renters and uh, and uh, hopefully that's coming to an end with the um, National Inquiry into Mould Illness that MP Lucy Wicks, who actually got mould illness herself, uh, launched in Parliament, which is great to yeah, get that awareness. Uh, but I remember in retrospect my my signs of mold illness or, or what is more technically termed chronic inflammatory response syndrome, I remember reading to my son on that little uh, white slash green IKEA couch <laughs> and not being able to take a deep breath, just kind of like because I read really enthusiastically, I'm like, am I putting too much energy into my reading or something? Like do I just need to chill? Because I couldn't take a deep breath and I also remember um, my standard lunch would be a pile of rocket and some, you know, tinned sardines or mackerel on top. You know, you just want to get those omegas in, yeah. get some good greens in, and then you're ready for the afternoon with a toddler. Like that's that was my um, my standard. And I remember also not being able to breathe with that. So retrospect teaches me, of course, that tinned fish are one of the highest histamine foods. Yeah. And if you have mold illness, that's one of the um, your issues is elevated histamine. Yeah. So anything can tip over a, an almost full bucket kind of thing. So uh, I didn't, of course, know any of that then. All I knew was we'd been evicted and we needed to find a new place. So we found a new place, lovely place in, so we thought, you know, fresh paint and carpet, number one sign that they're covering up mould is when they advertise it's freshly painted. <laughs> to cover it all yeah, up. It's just like I would much prefer it to not say freshly painted, see a few scuffs on the wall and see that the paint's not bubbling and there aren't any serious issues with two-year-old paint instead. Much more um, attractive to me now that I know. Yeah. Um, but back then I didn't know and we were very excited and it was really, really good value. He um, was an old landlord in one of those situations where we thought, oh, this is great. He's just totally out of touch with yeah. <laughs> The current prices, he doesn't know about inflation. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> 
so we we lived there and then a month in um there was a big rainstorm and rain started coming down our bedroom wall oh, no. and but he was lovely he's like okay let's get some whirly birds put into the wall let's uh, into the roof cavity let's um you know, Ollie was able to identify some of the tiles that were broken, so he got the whole t- roof fixed, like spent 15 grand on it. And we were like, oh, my gosh, we've got this amazing landlord who's finally doing good things for us. And um, and we just slept in the living room while that was being sorted out. And I remember around about that time I started um, – to experience very slow, uh, like not worrying kind of weight gain, but just a teeny little bit of weight gain over the sort of years, if you like, and brain fog. And I would constantly be going back to my naturopath trying to figure out this brain fog. And, uh, and, uh, and I was always sick with something random and weird in the summer. It was never in the winter that I was sick. It was always the summer that made me feel really, really unwell. And of course, that's the most humid time of the year in Sydney. And, uh, and, and, but nothing was ever so bad for like literally five years, six years that we lived there, um, that you would think it required more than, oh, you know, you're just busy. Maybe it's adrenal fatigue. You know what I mean? Like it was like kind of low level subclinical. This is bugging me, but not stopping me from living. Yeah. So as any modern woman does, you just soldier so on and you do all the things you got to do and, um, and you forget about it until my eye started leaking when, uh, when we'd been there for about six years by that stage. And I speak publicly for a living. And so then this, when I say I was leaking, like tearing as if I had been crying from like watching The Notebook, but like <laughs> I, I, nonstop. I guess that. <laughs> So like nonstop, so like strategically trying to wipe my eye subtly while I'm giving a, a keynote to 250 people and uh, and it wasn't ideal. I thought, okay, I'm just about to go to my godson's wedding over in Mauritius because that's where we're from on my mum's side and, uh, and when we get back I'll sort that out. But what was awesome, or so I thought, was it stopped. Yeah, yeah, it's a good sign that one, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, and I was like, oh, thank God, whatever that was, we're done, and so I don't need to go deal with that. Yeah. Um, but, of course, we get home. Half a week later, my eye starts tearing up again. Yeah. And uh, I was just like, okay, so ophthalmologist and she, I don't know if anyone's ever had, like, their tear duct squirted with saline. <laughs> it's a lovely experience. Um, you, if you didn't think you could get something down a tear duct, you can. Oh, wow. <laughs> you just have to be really still. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and unfortunately, so in my left, I remember it just went straight down into my nasal cavity. That's how you know the tear duct's not blocked. Yeah. And then in the right, it just nothing. It just all spurted out the top. So it wow. was blocked. Uh, and so she referred me to an ocular plastic surgeon and he did the same kind of thing in a couple of other tests. He said, look, we've got to unblock this tear duct. Uh, it's a pretty easy common surgery. It's overnight stay and uh, you'll be out and done the next day. So I was like, you know what? I'm not one of those people who is like a stubborn hippie who doesn't realize that sometimes you actually just need the intervention of modern medicine. I'm fully prepared to bring it in when it's required. And so I went along with it. And, uh, 
at that point, I didn't know I had a gene mutation, the MTHFR, I had detoxification issues or anything like that. It was kind of just before all of that started to be talked about more widely. Uh, and so, of course, nitrous oxide was one of the main um, forms of anesthesia. And, um, and I did not recover well from that at all. So that was really the straw that broke the camel's back. So I was obviously up to here with mould and then this GA just sent me over the edge. And for people who have MTHFR variations and don't detoxify well, you really want to make sure you are very clear that your anaesthetist does not use nitrous oxide because this like literally flatlines your B12 and you can get some really scary neurological symptoms like I had, uh, exacerbated, of course, by mold toxicity, which also carry with it when you've been long-term exposed, exposed a whole bunch of um, neurological symptoms, nervous system issues. Uh, so it kind of all cascaded and it all happened really fast within the space of about five months. And I started to literally have... Um, crazy palpitations after meals. I noticed it was specifically after meals uh, and uh, really terrible ectopic beats. So my heart would just skip beats, stop for a couple of seconds, start again, do a whole little series of flutters, really scary stuff. And, um, and then I started having twitching and tremors. So I couldn't like hold my phone and read an article. It would just be shaking. It was really scary. And it's almost because you're so anxious and mold has this way of inflaming your brain to make you just completely unable to express yourself or um, think logically because you're so foggy in the head yeah. that the people around you often don't realise how bad it is. Like I remember Ollie kind of saying to me once I was starting to come good and I was more able to express how bad it was, he's like, I, I had no idea it was this bad. Like it just because you just soldier on. You just do yeah. what you got to do. You get your kid to school, you make dinner, you, you do what you got to do. And um and that's what I did. And, but it was very scary. It was a very dark time. And I remember um, we had a trip coming up where the travel agent said, does anyone in your party travelling need a wheelchair? And uh, the trip was for March and it was November when we were booking it. And I honestly thought to myself, if this is how fast this, whatever this is that we still can't figure out is progressing, then that might be me. I might actually need one. And that's a horrible thing to realise about the state of your health when uh, you <laughs> are on some kind of slippery slope that you don't feel you have any control over. So my heart really goes out to anyone who's experienced these dark thoughts um, not that there's anything wrong with living life in a wheelchair. I think it's, you know, we often think that that's like some kind of a sentence and I love hearing people like Dylan Orcott talk about the fact that that's so not how that needs to be viewed. Yeah. But I think in, in what was scaring me was seeing this rapid decline and having all the knowledge I had and all the resources I had not being able to figure this thing out and not having joined the dots to mould yet. But that was just about to come. So hit the real big low and then thought, okay, something that's happening to my advantage is that I'm waking up with a surge of adrenaline at all hours of the morning and unable to go to sleep for at least two hours. 
So I'm going to use that time and I'm going to read the shit out of everything. And that's what I did. I just read with my phone um, by the moonlight and, and just scoured articles, research papers, symptom mapping, all sorts of things, trying to connect in forums, finding out anything that could possibly give me a hint. And the first hint was histamine. And because I knew that one of the patterns I was noticing was the uh, post-meal palpitations, I thought, what am I eating? And this is where it gets interesting because for years I had been eating a diet rich in ferments, wild ferments no less, um, which if you're living in a water-damaged <laughs> building is really not a good idea. That would be very wild. <laughs> literally putting all of that badness yeah, into, into your food on yeah. hyperdrive. Uh, I was eating a diet rich in long-cooked, like 12-hour cooked broths, mm. uh, which is very high histamine. I was uh, eating a lot of tinned fish for convenience and for their beautiful uh, nourishing properties like your sardines, mackerel. Uh, and I was eating a lot of spinach and tomatoes and aubergine and... <laughs> Lemon <basically>. on everything. <laughs> <laughs> Basically everything that was really high histamine, yeah. as well as a whole whole bunch of other stuff. Mm-hmm. But it really just slow cooked meats. Everything was slow cooked, mm-hmm. so it was like, whoa, okay, let me. This is cool. Like, let me actually work on this. And of course, you know, responsibly, I had gone to a cardiologist and gotten thousands of dollars worth of testing done, and um, to be told that this is really normal for women in their forties. So no, don't worry. And I was like, okay. Uh, and that's where we get that line of normal, not meaning it's okay. <laughs> normal does not mean it's okay. That's exactly right. And just because because the normal range is basically the average of what's happening. What, to yeah. People. So this the average of all the sick population. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. the sick population is the one getting the test. Yeah. So just not just tell us like yeah. I mean crazy logic or lack of really. Mm. Anywho. So um, so I knew at least I wasn't about to drop dead in the heart department. I think it's really important to get your allopathic rule out. Absolutely. When things You've are really, to, really yeah. not right yeah. because that way you can at least put your mind at ease. Like I remember once the twitching and tremors started, I thought I must have some sort of neurological disease. Like mm-hmm. I just thought, you know, maybe this is Parkinson's. Yeah. Like, you know, you've, you've seen well, that's what you go to, isn't it? Movies yeah. and you've seen the people with those symptoms mm-hmm. and that's what they've got. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so it was very scary. And once I peeled back the histamine um, or tone, what was the expression, turned the little stone with histamine written underneath and yeah. just like, Bingo, that's that first one. Changed my diet and literally started eating. I would buy super fresh. I would make the butcher take all the mints from the outside and just give me a handful from the inside so that it had had no oxygen contact, mm-hmm. really low histamine, super fresh. And I would freeze little hands, fist portions, and I would defrost lamb or beef or chicken um, from that inside of the, the mince pile at the um, organic butcher and just cook that really mildly with some herbs and a little bit of sea salt um, and a huge pile of sprouts. So um, snow pea shoots or um, broccoli sprouts or a bit of a mix of all sorts of sprouts really and rocket leaves. So all super simple, very low inflammatory, 
very low histamine food. Very, and I would literally eat that probably twice a day, and then just snack on some carrots and cucumber and other really safe, simple foods. And I noticed the palpitations started to subside quite a bit. They didn't go because there were a whole bunch of other things going yeah. on, but they definitely gave me a little window of hope. And I think windows of hope are what we really need when things are really sucky um, because they're the things that just give you just enough motivation to keep trying and and keep looking for the next thing. Yeah. And there was a histamine forum where a woman said, yeah, it was when I was, um, when I was exposed to mould, my histamine was, went really nuts. And I was like, oh, mould. And so then I sort of started looking through a few other forums about mould and symptoms and someone mentioned Dr. Richie Shoemaker and I looked his website up, survivingmould.org or .com, and, uh, and, he had a, and I, he had a symptoms tab. So I hit the symptoms tab. It was like four in the morning, heart beating like a crazy person yeah. on adrenaline as usual back then. This was like late 2016. And, um, and so he, uh, he has this neat little chart and it literally had everything that was going on in my body mapped out perfectly. And it was like getting the best bad news you ever. Oh, uh, it is, isn't it? And I—that's the funniest thing. I see that with my clients too. How relieved people are, like, mm. and, and myself too. When you get that an answer, it's like, oh, yeah, it makes sense. That means I can find my way out. Because half yeah. of it is the shame of thinking, my God, is this really all in my head? Is there something yeah. wrong with me? Yeah, that's dreaming all of this up and making it happen to myself, and. Yeah. You know, I, I, especially being a fan of Joe Dispenza's work, like mm. some, it, you can't help but kind of wonder whether I'm creating you're this. creating yeah. some of it for yourself, especially when everyone around you is saying, no, you're fine. Your mm. blood tests are coming back normal. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with your heart outside of your normal age stuff that happens or, you know, so – um, but yeah, it was really great news. And, and this is like things like ice pick pain, random shooting pains that would happen everywhere or, um, or the shortness of breath, especially, um, just kind of felt like I was cut off halfway from not being able to access the rest of my lungs basically. Um, and then all the twitching tremor, heart stuff, uh, and a few other things like I could literally go on and on. The tearing eye was literally one of the symptoms yeah. in this chart. And I was yeah. like, and that's pretty left field for that to just be thrown yeah. in all these yeah. things. And so what was cool about that was to see that it was a multi-system disorder. And the reason that it is is because the people who can't clear mycotoxins literally have mould start to grow in their Body because they don't have the antibodies to say, get the heck out of here, you're mm. not good for us. And so it just invades your whole body, uh, starting with the brain, which is why brain fog is one of the earliest symptoms, and then moving its way through the rest of your nervous system, your heart, your um, muscles, joints, uh, it just goes everywhere. So lungs, obviously, a huge part of it. And so... Um, so I started to investigate practitioners and I found a guy in the US who was going to be my guy, a real too hard basket guy. And, uh, and he had a woman, uh, he'd had a son or he has a son rather who has uh, schizoaffective bipolar disorder. And that was what he as a chiropractor and a nurse, uh, he already had a really strong medical background, a strong understanding of the human body, but with a son who was facing these health challenges, 
he just decided to go all in with the little that he did know and and study biochemistry, study genetics, find out anything he got could possibly find out to help his son, which was really beautiful. And that's how he ended up helping others who weren't getting answers in any other way. So I had a few Skype sessions with him and he really set me on a great path. He got me out of the SOS mode, uh, you know, with a, a few supplements. He had me on four mils of B12, liposomal B12 a day, four mils. Mm. Um, and literally the twitching stopped overnight wow. as soon as I got my B12. Uh, so it was just like, oh my God, thank God. <laughs> because I, I just thought this was literally just a huge vitamin deficiency spurred on not just by mold for years, but then by the general anesthetic with the nitrous oxide. Um, and uh, having the MTHFR C677T, okay. um, uh, variant. So it was really just mind blowing what I was starting to learn about my body experiences that one can have in a lifetime and how, your body can be affected by certain stresses and how toxicity is not one root cause. It's always a soup. Yeah. There is never just one thing, just like there's never just one pill that's going to make people better. Yeah. Never, ever. Neither is ever the case. Yeah. Multiple factors always and multiple things to help always. So um, this is why, you know, when you were talking about Dr. Kelly Turner's work and her many pillars of yeah similarity between people who have radical remissions uh you know we all want to try and pin everything on the one bad guy that, yeah. and then we all want the one savior yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah life just doesn't work like that yeah. as frustrating as it is yeah it just doesn't work like that yeah so dr jess got me on the on the road to the point where i was still researching of course around the work i was doing with him found a great local integrative GP, Dr. Mignot, who was well-versed in mold illness and had actually experienced it herself. So she has an incredible empathy for patients. She's amazing. And, um, and some real smarts about her. Like, you know, she's great at investigating, great at dropping something when it's just not working, you know, being really real about something that's just not working. And also um, very open-minded uh, as someone with a, a strong medical GP background she is open to anything if the research shows it's worth investigating, which I just think is what the nature of great science exactly. is. It's always evolving. Yeah. Um, yeah, so she's been fantastic and my wonderful naturopath, Kate Johnston, from Core Wellbeing. So that kind of became my team as well as um, having great acupuncture and uh, chiro slash osteopathy because obviously when your central nervous system's being given a bit of a um, – uh, beating, then, you know, those sorts of modalities can be really helpful to help correct anything that's um, uh, sort of memorized itself into um, malfunction. Yeah. Uh, those Eastern things I find really helpful. So all of that really started to move the needle. And of course, moving out of the water damage building was number one. And what was, I've done a couple of shows on this. I, I actually did a whole show, my podcast, show number 77 talks about what I left, what I kept, how we cleaned it. Um, so if anyone out there is thinking, oh, maybe mold's our thing, um, then you can listen to show 77 and I go through everything. But it was heartbreaking to literally have to start over. But yeah. we, we were almost like forced into the KonMari method against our yeah. will. <laughs> but far out, man. Like we love having very little stuff. Like I'm looking around our living dining. We literally have one gorgeous couch one lovely side table, 
one lovely uh, dining table, chairs, a TV, and a few tiny artifacts and a couple of plants. That's it. And we just, we've been here for more than a year now. We just haven't overcrowded it again. It's been really nice. Yeah, so um, since we moved, I still remember um, holding my hands together and that would normally feel like they were trying to escape each other. I don't know if that makes sense to explain it, but, like, imagine holding your hands together but having a feeling like they're, they're feeling trapped and they just want to move and kind of, like, tremor. Yeah. Um, yeah. I remember, yeah, I remember having my hands together and thinking, oh, my hands aren't moving. And I remember looking at my leg crossed over another leg when I'm watching TV one night and my foot wasn't rocking up and down. I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> I've only been out of the other place for like two, three weeks wow. and these changes were happening. Yeah. I was like, my body was so freaking stressed out over there. It just couldn't do anything anymore. It couldn't function properly. And so I started a combination of medication. So you need binders that mop it all up and get it out. Um, but you obviously need, uh, and so a bile sequestrant is really important. And while activated charcoal and zeolites, you know, there's a lot of great evidence about them. There's also some really concrete evidence based on Richie Shoemaker's entire career that cholestyramine, which is an early generation um, cholesterol medication, um, you know, <laughs> after having done a bazillion shows and reports <laughs> on cholesterol meds, and and do not need to reduce that. <laughs> there I am taking cholesterol med, but you know what? Like again, it's you've got to be open minded, and sometimes yeah. you need to take medication. That's okay. Don't be ashamed of that. Like you've got to get yourself better. Sometimes yeah. you're going to need some hardcore antimicrobial or you know antifungal whatever. If it's really going to work for you, if you feel drawn to that and you feel like um, you're working with a practitioner who deeply understands your condition, understands your preference for alternative, um, more natural-based um, support, but also understands when they need to call the need for something um, allopathic, that's okay, you know. And uh, cholestyramine is amazing for people who need to bind their mould and get it out. And so, um, and you know, I have a little tin of it still a year and a bit later where if I've been affected, like the stupid person that I chose to be on Saturday when a girlfriend was saying, God, my 12-year-old son's wet the bed, it's really weird. I'm like, have you got mould anywhere? <laughs> She's like, what do you mean? 12-year-old boys don't wet beds. Yeah. Like then his brain has been inflamed and it's not talking to the rest of his body properly. Yeah. Let me come over there with my moisture meter. She's like, okay. <laughs> you know, when it's one of your real straight and narrow friends and yeah. you come in all like gung Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Should have walked in burning incense as well. <laughs> yeah. So I tested the walls. Everything was saturated. Oh. Like just horrific so the the moisture meter tested every single wall in his room was wet where do you get a moisture meter i know uh, people that will be the I first question people have on their minds listening to that yeah you get them on amazon it's yeah. such a good thing to have like i just think everyone should have one especially if you're considering renting or buying a property mm -hmm. like you can just give you know I, I remember when we were moved in here my um husband was distracting the real estate agent talking sports or whatever and i was like busy like testing the whole house <laughs> 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 oh too funny 
Um, yeah, but really, really useful thing to just have in the cupboard whenever you need it or whenever a friend needs it. It's really, really handy. Yeah. Um, so we, we identified all that. We identified another place in the room, in the house that he could sleep and um, and they're going to move into that part of the house. But, like, if you don't realise that you're – because it's not necessarily always obvious. It's not like those current affair exposés where you've got, like, walls that are climbing with, like, black, black mould and – like little mushrooms growing out of things. <laughs> it's not always like that. If it's deep inside the walls and yeah. it hasn't grown out yeah. yet, it could still be affecting you through carpet in the subfloor. But we tested as the the, the top um, the top most dangerous uh, level that you can have through an ermi test, which is a dust test. Um, where you get sent a cloth kit and you kind of dust everything and then send it back to them and they read what's in your dust. Um, really useful test, E-R-M-I. And um, you can just Google where you can get it, but I did it through Mould Lab in Newcastle. And um, and it was like this quadrant one is, oh, you know, like healthy levels of mould because, you know, it's kind of like think of the microbiome and how it's good to have a tiny bit of E. coli in the mix, yeah. but you certainly don't want an overgrowth of E. coli. So mould is the same. Fungi is a natural part of our world. It's not about getting terrified of it and trying to kill it everywhere. In, in check, it's actually a useful part of our world. Um, but it's when it's not in check, so you go through quadrant two, quadrant three, and then quadrant four was like this red, like solid red kind of colour on the sheet. And it says, you know, like get out of there, remediate, knock down, rebuild, that kind of, and we tested in quadrant four. So we're in in a shocking quadrant for someone who is susceptible to mould and can't clear it. And, of course, you know, you can have these situations where, someone is totally fine but their spouse or partner or flatmate um, is complete, like in fetal position on the floor with all these symptoms like I had, for example. Um, and and because it's genetic and because it's just 24% of the population or thereabouts, according to Dr Shoemaker, uh, you know, this is why you can have people starting to think other people in the family are a hypochondriac. And they're just like trying to sound the alarm and no one around them's thinking anything's wrong. And it's very hard to understand. Like you're just looking around going, what? How can you be so sick? Just pull yourself together. I can see how that can happen. Um, yeah, but I was very severely affected. My son had a few little symptoms, a few, like he had regular nosebleeds. Uh, we called him Mr. Snuffleupagus when he slept. Uh, he was quite a noisy little sleeper. Um, and he was very, he had very messy handwriting. And when we moved, yeah. he's had, I think, about two nosebleeds all year compared to one or two a month, if not more, before when we were in the old place. And his handwriting halved in size and became legible wow. literally in two weeks. Yeah. And uh, and his tennis game, like we just always thought, okay, he's a good singer, that's his thing, <laughs> you know. But he just all of a sudden started connecting to the ball and hitting really well. And so his motor skills just went through the roof. Um, and his little brain was inflamed, I, just not as badly as mine. Thank God yeah. he got some of Ollie in the mix because yeah. Ollie's one of those strong constitutions when just nothing ever happens to the guy. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so it's, it's really um, – it's really important to keep your eyes wide open when you're not feeling well. You got to admit it to yourself, explain it to your family, 
And if we can't make our health our number one priority and support our loved ones when something's not quite right, then um, then we're too busy, I reckon. Yeah, We've got absolutely. Things out of our lives. Yeah, and, um, and that's and heart. it's so isolating. It's super them. isolating. Yeah, yeah. people mm. feeling really alone, really ashamed when they need love the most. Yeah, and, um, but it's the irony is you're just too sick to even ask for it. You can't even connect to people. I remember feeling quite distant from people and highly anxious. And I'm not an anxious person, but you know, we I, I wouldn't even go down to put a wash on at night and we live in one of the safest areas in Sydney. Yeah. Um, but I was just like, oh, no, it's dark. And my husband was like, what? Like, I, I, you know, I would catch a cab and I would make it drive all the way to the absolute front door. Yeah. I would never just walk up the driveway in the, in the dark. And it's just like, who are you even being? Yeah. Like, when you just don't even recognise yourself. It's very jumpy and anxious. So, mm. yeah feels very, very good to have spent the last year out of that place and getting better and better. And uh, it's it's really just given me an appreciation for health that I never really understood so as, as, as deeply as I do now. And I, I don't mean that people have to get really sick to really appreciate what they've got. Um, I think we can work on gratitude from wherever we're at, but it definitely um, definitely kicked it up a few notches for me. Yeah, absolutely. So what I think is really cool about that is it's like it seems to be people that are in that position where they already have a voice in the health and wellness world and it's, mm. and you often see that the, their health journey is not even over yet. Yeah. And then and, and so experiences that you're still going through in your health journey change and grow you as, um, as an author and as a speaker and then that message you can then take people on, that journey you're still taking them on um, when you already had built that audience. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, I think you the, also for me though is really important that I, uh, I learnt to not feel like I needed to have stuff go wrong with me to lead. Yeah. Um, because, you know, in this in this age of, like, vulnerability yeah. and, like, you know, it's just like you've really just got to be able to talk about things when they're bad yeah. almost creates a culture of having to have bad stuff happen so that people, um, you know, share your work yeah. or, or like it yeah. or connect to you. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's a really interesting uh, thing to be super mind. I've been mega mindful of that and yeah. to go, you know what, no, I can lead from wellness. I can lead from from a, a place of um, uh, hope and health and happiness and thriving. You don't have to get sick. Uh, it's very helpful from, for the mould factor specifically because I think that was an issue that needed uncovering in yeah. a massive way. Yeah. If you look at the science telling us 24% of people, like potentially that many people, so nearly a quarter, can't clear mycotoxins from their body and you look at the stats of water damaged buildings in Australia and the US being at around somewhere between 35% and 50% of buildings water damaged in some way. That's a heck of a lot of people wandering around potentially chronically ill, yeah. being told vague things like fibromyalgia, CFS, you name it, like, you know, just IBS, all these random um, umbrella terms for for things that do have a series of root causes that we can get to the bottom of, but unfortunately our system doesn't necessarily take an investigative approach. Um, and, uh, 
And, yeah, I think that's that's a big one to help people. And so I've just made a, a commitment to just talking about it for 15 minutes every time I give a talk or a keynote and uh, without fail afterwards, without fail, people will come up to me from all walks of life. I had a Commonwealth Bank executive come up to me and say, you know, you talked about mould. We moved from a terrace house last year after I had had a stroke at the age of 46. My goodness. And my daughter had had a tick, um, like a facial tick for um, the early part of her teenage years, 12, 13. And we moved from that house just because uh, we could actually afford a deposit for a place, so we bought somewhere. And uh, all of the strange symptoms I'd been feeling prior to my stroke evaporated and my daughter's tick just disappeared. And I had had no idea why. We were just relieved that it was over and so, you know, kind of like me and Mauritius with the leaky eye. Oh, yeah, great, that's done. done. Um, and you talked about that and it just brought back the vivid look of our bedroom wall having black mould um, that we were so annoyed by because we're annoyed by mould. Yeah, we don't realise it's so it's damaging. It's annoying thing, right? Yeah. But we should be terrified of it. It is yeah. a huge alarm bell yeah. um, if it's growing to that degree. And, uh, and so, you know, he had this huge awakening. Like having a stroke at 46 when you're otherwise healthy is not that normal. Is not there is normal. something going on that is stressing your body out to the point yeah. where it lashes out with yeah. a huge thing like a stroke then it doesn't mean you uh, you just go, oh, thank God I survived. It means, thank God I survived. Now let's figure out what the heck what was going, going on, on to create the storm that made that happen. I really believe we need to be more tenacious with, you know, not just be grateful and move on because um, I think that kind of disconnection from how we're really feeling from nature, from all of the important stuff, um, can make us just be relieved and move on really fast. Yeah, and it's basically so it's ignoring a, a red flag. It's like our yeah. body's very smart and it throws up these red flags and it's it's trying to tell us something that's going mm. on. Yeah. Yeah. So for people that are sitting there going, oh, my gosh, maybe it's mold, everything she's saying, that's me, <laughs> um, which I know there will be people sitting there thinking that. I know as a homeowner, if I discovered my house was full of mould, that's very overwhelming. Mm. Um, where where do you suggest people start? So I started getting all these questions on the book tour last year um, and I on the plane in between stops, I started documenting my entire journey and in that there's a part two towards the bottom that has all the resources. So the Toxic Mould website in Australia is fantastic. It's got lists of people who remediate mould, building biologists, all sorts of super useful um, blood tests that you can get if you think you might be affected um, and, uh, and everything is in that post. I really created it as a sugar, where do I start kind of post. And then show number 55 I did with Dr. Sandeep Gupta, who is our foremost physician in the area of uh, chronic inflammatory response syndrome. And as I said, 77 I did on actually how the heck do you move as a renter? Like what do you keep, what do you take? Um, and how do you clean what you take? And uh, people, I was dishwashing Lego in laundry wow. bags. That was 
like, yeah, it was like washing soft toys and sunning them until they were bone dry, like so many things. Uh, basically, we took Seb stuff yeah. and uh, not much of our own. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's all there. So the whole mould story, which is a blog post that I'll send you the link for, Great. Uh, is the best place to start because that actually has all of the resources in it. Yeah, excellent. Because I know there's um, like the people you come out to, I'm having a mind blank tonight. We are, for everyone listening, we are recording this quite late. <laughs> there's excusing my mind blanks. But the um, people you have come out to test your home for mould, they are the mold remediators, yeah, mold building biologists. Yeah, building yeah. biologists. That's what I was looking for. So, because I know there's building biologists and then there's building biologists. Like there's ones yeah, that will come and say, "That's not so bad." Yeah, and then there are people who've done the full advanced diploma with Nicole Bilsma, who is really the goddess of all things building biology. So you yeah. definitely want to make sure you've got the you're right person, fully qualified person. Yeah. yeah, that's going to freak out about the mold enough. <laughs> Mm, you know, totally. that's going to see it as, as a problem that it really is. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Well, um, can you tell us a bit about your one of your programs, Alex? The one that really Gosh. interests me the most, and I've said I'm going to go and do it, is the one about the chronic inflammation. So tell us a bit yes. about that. So obviously going through all of this stuff myself, it's not necessarily a mould course. It's broader than that. It's yeah. more all forms of inflammation, um, whether you might have been diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis or um, uh, IBD, inflammatory bowel disease, or, you know, any kind of chronic inflammation. And because I believe it's a very similar set of root causes that uh, can act as a bit of a toxic soup that set up the perfect storm and then based on your genetics or your particular environment or your stress load, however that then ends up catapulting you into illness can look different from one person to the next yeah um and so uh i was horrified by how long it took me a smart person who even works in health education um to figure out what the heck was going on with me i was horrified by how much money i had to spend on it all for myself literally drowned out all the savings yeah and um and i thought far out man if there's one good thing that can come out of this is to help people find answers faster and to help people get results faster in a a climate that just doesn't investigate um actively or adequately enough to move the needle for people and so we created inflammation ninja you know with the likes of my own gp dr mignot who's interviewed in there uh dr terry wells uh dr stephen sinatra who's you know 40 years in integrative cardiology some really incredible minds um dr ellen app thomas uh, who have come together to help really demystify inflammation, why certain people get it, what the majority of the causes tend to be, um, how far down rabbit holes you need to go because sometimes we <laughs> go down a rabbit hole, start to feel like we're the ones failing instead of realising we're just going down the wrong rabbit hole and yeah. that's okay. Yeah. Um, we've talked about this. You know, yeah. sometimes gaps isn't the answer. Sometimes um, low histamine diets aren't the answer. Like it's going to be different for everyone. Uh, and so we need to feel really um, empowered rather than um, ashamed when things aren't working. And uh, and so sort of taking into account all of those things, taking into account the stress piece, the environmental toxin piece, the dietary piece, uh, and, uh, you know, uncovering some of the common tests that you can do that aren't 
commonly known to a GP, for example, but commonly known to um, naturopaths and integrative doctors and um, naturopathic doctors uh, in the US. Uh, and so, you know, just helping people like, you know, do the no stone unturned kind of thing. And uh, and it's really meaty. It's a huge course, has a meal plan that is really simple and focused on SOS, anti-inflammatory stuff, just to to help people just feel safe with yeah. food. I think it's really important that we just feel safe for a bit before, while Absolutely. we make a plan. Yeah. I know my clients really resonate with that. <laughs> yeah. They feel very yeah. unsafe. And, uh, and, and, you know, we've had incredible stories. There was a woman who literally couldn't ride her horse for like a horse for 17 years and it was her favourite thing to do all through growing up, all through her early 20s. And she had to give up because her arthritis got so bad yeah. and it was really painful. And, like, she did everything to a T in the course and five weeks in she's riding a horse. Oh, my goodness. Like, crazy stuff. Yeah, so that's incredible. And it's not like I can promise anyone that you will definitely experience like radical change from doing the course, but if it helps you identify things that you haven't looked at yet, then yay, you know, that's important because there are a lot of things that don't get looked at in a standard consult um, situation. Yeah, a lot. Or or even to a a specialist referral sometimes. So. Yeah, yeah. it's just all about putting those pieces of the puzzle puzzle together. And you mentioned Dr. Kelly Turner before. She's my um, my professional crush at the moment. Yeah, um, it sounds and, like it. Yeah, and what I love is that she really talks about the intuition side of things. Well, that's what she's yeah. discovered as one of the healing factors is following your intuition and that it's not the one supplement or this herb or this diet or this. It's that the people who have radical remissions, that's who Dr. Kelly Turner is, she studies radical remissions, the people that have those are the ones they follow their intuition mm. and so to the thing that's going to help them by you know taking charge of their health not just doing what someone told them to do following this feels right this doesn't and going down that path and I think that's so important totally totally really important to develop a, a strong sense of empowerment yeah. as we move through stuff instead of oh this is all happening to me I'm the victim and everybody else out there seems to have the answers and I have no answers yeah. like I just want to change that conversation that people have with themselves yeah beautiful mm. well thank you so much for chatting with us tonight Alex Oh, it was an absolute pleasure. I love our version of a cheeky half hour. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's perfect. Well, that's, you'll get away with it. <laughs> Absolutely. And I just want to finish by sharing one of your quotes that I read recently that I really love and I think will resonate with um, a lot of people listening, and that is go for the daily attainable joy of progress, not the daily torment of unattainable perfection. I think oh, that's yeah. something... Everyone needs to hear. Yeah, we mm. absolutely all need that, yeah. like a little phrase on our shoulders every yes. day. Yeah. You're doing great. Mm. And that is the sound of my son waking up, perfect timing. So I'm going to go and attend to him and I will see you all soon. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks for having me. Bye. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives.
Boston Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners. These podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.